a full life of potential in a heartbeat. A massive tree in an acorn. Trillions of atoms in a speck of dust. So much said in a look. So much history in a scar. So much comfort in silence. The faith to move mountains in a seed. The greatest gift in pennies. A timeless sacrifice in a few breaths. The greatest of man in a servant. The universe is great in the small. Stars 1,000 times the size of Earth, just specks in the sky. Salvation in the simplest of prayers. The gift of eternity in an instant. Freedom from bondage in a choice. Fullness of life in the darkest of times. Power of resurrection in a word. The greatest significance in the smallest of steps. Can you see it? May we all come to see the great in the small. I want to make mention of a couple of things. First of all, if you haven't seen the new playground equipment that's, that's been installed, that got installed quick, up and in this week. And so that was an effort by uh, the preschool, by Agape Preschool. They raised the funds. Uh, for that playground and got it in, and so we're we're excited about that because of what it shows. Uh, it shows the support I think that that school has, but also because we get to use it. So, so if your kids need a place to play after after church today, go check it out. Or or if you just haven't seen it, go go check it out. It's a uh, a beautiful, nicely done new um, new equipment that we've got out there. Also, if you haven't seen this afternoon, uh, the Love of Christ Food Pantry is going to have an open house. I think it's from 2 to 4. Is that right, Dorothy? Uh, so that's over uh, at the, uh, the Western Hills Church of Christ over there on, on the north side of town. And it's a great food distribution ministry. They do a lot of great stuff. They're celebrating 30 years of ministry, and so they're having an open house. Uh, and so if you want to know about, more about that ministry, about what they do, about ways that you could support or, or be involved there, then you can go check them out this afternoon. I know several of our members, including the Schulzies and, uh, of course, the Cathy's uh, in the past and others uh, have done a lot. Janice, are you pointing at Janice? Okay, Janice, yeah, once you start naming people, you leave people out. So Janice is involved there. So I know a lot of our people uh, have been involved in that ministry uh, currently and over the years. All right, well today we're going to continue our, our series looking at some of the stories, the parables of Jesus. So before we get there, I want to start back in the Old Testament because uh, there's a story in the Old Testament that, that many of you may know or at least know some of the pieces or imagery of about a prophet named Elijah. There comes a time when Elijah is, is in a cave on the side of a mountain and God tells him that he's going to pass by, that the glory of God, the presence of God, of God is going to pass by in front of Elijah. And so there's a powerful wind then that comes ripping through the mountains and tears up everything in its path, even shattering the rocks around Elijah. 
And this is an impressive and mighty display of power, and, and surely God is in this, this mighty wind. But God wasn't in the wind. So then after that, there was an earthquake, which has to be a little disconcerting if you're on a mountain whose rocks have just been shattered by a mighty wind. But God wasn't in the earthquake either, nor was he in the fire that followed the earthquake. And again, this is kind of a common story that gets told, but just imagine if you're Elijah in this case, you're in a cave on the side of the mountain that's just been destroyed by wind, earthquake, and fire. <laughs> like, it's, this is a, maybe a little bit of a precarious situation. So what, what would come next, you might wonder? Well, after the fire came a small, gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out from the cave stood on the side of the mountain before the presence of God. So that story, that story is a reminder that God often shows up and works in unexpected ways. His presence is, is, is not always seen in, in the earth-shattering, groundbreaking, in-your-face activity, but in the small, quiet, and mundane moments. And I think we find a similar message in some of the stories that Jesus told. Usually, it seems, in stories that Jesus told about the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And so if last week's set of, of parables that we looked at told us something about the nature of God, told us something about the forgiving, the loving, the merciful nature of God, then today's parables, I think, invite us to comprehend something about the nature of God's kingdom. Namely, that it often arrives in unexpected ways and in surprisingly small packages. And so, with that in mind, we're going to look at a couple of stories today in Matthew 13. If you want to turn there with us, you can, uh, but they're very short. We're going to pick up in verse 31 and just look at a couple of very short parables, a couple of short stories this morning. We looked at, at some of this chapter, the beginning of this chapter, actually a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and so then, picking up in verse 31, Jesus tells a couple of short parables about small things. So Matthew tells us this. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of the seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and, and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the dough, until it worked all through the dough. Now, in these two stories, we, we find certainly distinct messages to an extent. Uh, the mustard seed parable, for instance, highlights how, how something small and seemingly insignificant can grow into something large and something that benefits those around it. While the parable of the yeast highlights the ways in which something small can end up having widespread impact and, and effect on its surroundings and everything that may be around it. And so there are unique aspects of the stories, but together they, they paint a picture of 
of the kingdom as something that starts humble, insignificant, or maybe even hidden in some ways, but that it's something that becomes expansive and, and pervasive and large and meaningful and impactful. And that same message can be traced throughout many of Jesus' parables, going back to the beginning of this chapter when, when Jesus compares the message about the kingdom to, again, a seed. Or even if you go further in chapter 13, he compares the kingdom to something like a pearl or a treasure that's hidden in a field. There's this repeated imagery of, of the kingdom being something that's, that's small, but then has a, a, a lasting or, or outsized impact or effect. The message and, and imagery of the kingdom, th this sort of imagery of the kingdom of something small but powerful, had particular significance, I think, to Jesus' specific time. Because remember, Jesus' arrival inaugurated the coming of the kingdom in new and transformative ways. But at this time, the exact nature of that was still very hidden in many ways. Not even all of Jesus' disciples fully understood or grasped what was going on with Jesus' ministry, with his message, until after his resurrection. So even for people who were completely sort of bought into what he was doing, there was a hidden or concealed nature of it. But even beyond that, Jesus knew that, that, that the people were going to have to recalibrate their, their sort of thinking or understanding or expectations for what the kingdom of heaven was going to look like. Because again, as we've talked about, people were, were expecting this kingdom to, to come, for, for God's reign to be more fully sort of inaugurated and brought into the world. And if you were expecting a, a kingdom to be established, usually that takes a lot of manpower, it takes a lot of resources, it takes something big. And Jesus comes along and he says, yeah, well, like the kingdom of heaven is sort of like, it's sort of like a mustard seed, <laughs> Like, wait, hold on, what? <laughs> the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of, of God is like a seed? It's like yeast? Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's what it's like. <laughs> oftentimes, oftentimes kingdom work shows up and, and is displayed in unexpected and unimpressive ways. It's wrapped up in, in the routine and the seemingly inconsequential and so in Jesus' day, this was a necessary message because, as I said, his hearers sort of were going to have to recalibrate what they were expecting in terms of, of the kingdom and kingdom work. But in reality, I think the same concepts fit for our time and our lives as well. That there are events and circumstances that we don't fully grasp or understand in the moment, but that look clearer in hindsight that maybe we can see the movement of God or the activity of God or the ways in which God has brought us through something or revealed something to us more looking back than we can in the moment or, or looking forward. Life, growth, and progress still continue to happen in, in small, mundane, and ordinary ways that we aren't always able to see in the moment, but that we can see more clearly looking back. But this activity... This activity and this process and this thing that, these things that we know to be true hopefully gives us an appreciation for the small things as we're going through them. 
for the small improvements, for the small advancements, for the, the small changes, for the, the small shifts that we see in, in our lives, in our community, and in the world around us. It can help us appreciate those things and see the beauty in the small as the video that we watched beforehand invited us to see. Because oftentimes, the work of transformation is not instantaneous. Instead, it is more often discernible after a period of time. Its movement and effect is often unable to be recognized or pointed out in real time. Instead, the cumulative effect can be observed and marveled at from a distance and as we look back. Uh, So, for instance... There was once a young man named John. From a young age, John had kind of a rough childhood, went through many difficult things in in his early life, until finally John ended up working on slave ships. This was back in the 1700s. Ended up working on slave ships to the point that he eventually captained some of his own ships, profited greatly off of the slave trade industry, and in his own words, John said he made it his study to tempt and seduce others. And this is kind of how he went about life. Well, in 1745, John basically became a slave himself until he was rescued by the captain of a merchant ship about three years later. So he's been rescued from basically being an enslaved person himself. He's headed back to England where he was from in a giant Uh, storm comes that threatens to to tear apart the ship that he's on. And so John, who had been reading some about Jesus and about faith, decides this would be a good time for me to start praying. And so he prays for God to spare his life. And, And just as he's finished his prayer, the storm subsides and they make it to shore. And so John thinks, surely this is the work of God, right? And you would think, you would think that if something was going to to cause instantaneous change in someone's life, surely this would be it. Three years of of slavery, then you're you're rescued, and then it looks like you're going to die, but then you're rescued from that. And like if there was a road to Damascus, light shining moment where my life is going to be different from now on, this is it. But it wasn't. (laughs) And John went back to to slave trading. He captained his own ships for years after that point. Instead of being this instantaneous change, it was more like a seed that was planted that would take time to mature. This initial belief that he was starting to build in his mind lacked condition for quite some time. Even though the events themselves seemed large and seemed like wind and an earthquake and fire ripping through a mountain, they had very limited initial impact. It was like yeast working through dough that required repeated kneading and folding and working. John himself would later say about the events, I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word until a considerable time afterwards. Well, in that considerable time afterwards, John became a well-known pastor abolitionist and songwriter who went on to write a great number of things about the evils and destructive nature of slavery. In reflecting on his years of profiting off of slavery, John said it was, it was a subject of humiliating reflection that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. 
And in addition to, to many writings about the destructive nature of slavery, John also became uniquely aware and appreciative of God's grace, which was another subject that he wrote extensively about. An appreciation that you can hear in John's most famous hymn, a song that includes these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is what John believed himself to be, a wretch in need of saving. John Newton was this guy's name, the author of the song that many of us know. I once was lost, John wrote, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Sometimes things take time. Back to our story that I began the, the, the message with this morning. Uh, before Elijah got to the mountain in that story, uh, he was having a particularly bad day. Uh, he was afraid that he was going to get killed, and so Elijah begins running for his life. Eventually, he kind of leaves everyone else behind, and he ends up alone in the wilderness. He comes to a, a broom bush, which is just nice imagery. He comes to a broom bush, sits down under it, and prays this prayer. This is the prayer that Elijah prays. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So in our two stories this morning, we've got a slave trader praying for God to save his life and a prophet praying for God to take his life. This is an, this is an interesting juxtaposition, I think, that we find between these two stories. And so then Elijah laid down, he fell asleep, and he waited to die. He was convinced this is it. But as he was going to sleep, an angel came and talked to him a couple of times. The second time, the angel told him this, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I love that sentence. Um, it's a sentence I've been thinking some about this week. I haven't fully kind of, I don't know, dove into it, but it's kind of been in my, in my head. Because I just, you can make a whole sentence, I'm convinced, a whole sermon out of that sentence. <laughs> Get up and eat, because the journey is too much for you. <laughs> Like sometimes the journey just seems too much and we just have to make ourselves get up and eat something, right? <laughs> like get up, get some strength and keep going. The journey's too much, but you're going to have some help as you go along the way. So get up and eat something. Uh, so Elijah got up, he ate, and then he traveled for 40 days until he reached this mountain, Horeb, the mountain of God, where we kind of met him this morning at the beginning. And when he got there, when he got there, God asked Elijah a question. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Which is a great question. What are you doing here? He's had a bad day, got up at eight, traveled 40 days on his own, it seems. No podcast, no Wi-Fi, 40 days with your thoughts, thinking people are chasing you to kill you. He gets to a cave in a mountain, and God says, what are you doing here? And so Elijah, Elijah in my mind says this, like, what am I doing here, God? What do you mean, what am I doing here? Like, that's, I think, what goes through Elijah's head first. <laughs> what do you mean, what am I doing here? So then he says this, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Like, I've, I've given my life to you, man, and this is where it's gotten me, <laughs> alone in the middle of nowhere, afraid I'm going to die. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. 
like that's what I'm doing here, <laughs> if you really want to know. So then God says, okay, I'm going to pass by you. And so then comes the sequence that I referenced at the beginning. The wind, the earthquake, the fire, the whisper. And after all of that, Elijah is now standing before God, and God asks him the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And it's almost as if God is, is giving Elijah a chance to answer the question again, maybe differently this time. Surely this experience of, of seeing all these magnificent things in nature before him and experiencing the presence of God, surely this will have a calming and, and transformative and immediate effect on Elijah. And he'll answer with, with a different perspective this time. So God asks them again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives word for word the same answer that he gave the first time. <laughs> like, I know I just saw all this stuff, but here's what I'm doing here. I already told you. <laughs> People are, they're not listening to me. They're not listening to you. I'm the only one left, and now they're about to kill me too. Word for word, same thing. And so then God gives him some other instructions, and he goes about his way. And I don't know exactly what to make of that, except that it seems that whether you are someone who ends up being a renowned songwriter, or whether you are a famous prophet or something in between, sometimes transformation takes time. <laughs> Impactful events take time to sink in and have an impact, and for their impact and, and effect to be fully seen in behavior and, and life change, that sometimes there are things that, that we sort of hope and, and want to have an immediate impact, but but they don't because that's not the way that transformation works. Even when it feels like something big seems to have occurred, the growth, the impact takes time to be seen. And I think the encouragement for us this morning and the encouragement in Jesus' stories is that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like something that starts small but that grows that works its way into every part of our life slowly like yeast. It's something that is hidden at first and something that you can't always see, but something that then grows into something strong uh, and something large, into something uh, that, that gives shade and, and nutrients and, and fruit and shade to those around it. And I think we all have moments when, when we feel like we should be farther along in our journey. Maybe we keep making the same mistakes or we, we just can't seem to implement some positive habit or, or discipline or change that we're wanting to implement or that we feel like we need to pursue. Whatever it may be, all of us are still growing and, and learning. And I'm guessing that most of us have, have those things that it's like, I just can't seem to conquer this or to make myself do this or get over this or get through this. We know what those areas of our lives are. But Jesus' teaching here reminds us that kingdom-oriented transformation is often gradual. It's found when we see the value in the mundane, the beauty in the small, the power in consistency, and the strength in simply continuing to show up. Sometimes it means just getting up and eating something and continuing on the journey even when it seems to be too much. 
So may we not be too, too frustrated when it feels like God's work is too small or too slow, but instead be reminded that kingdom work is like a small seed that grows into something strong over time. May we not lose hope when our own transformation seems to repeatedly hit roadblocks and barriers, but instead be reminded that like yeast in dough, the message of the kingdom will continue working within us as long as we are faithful and patient and persistent. And may we not miss the small things. May we not miss the small opportunities, the small moments, the small gestures, the small progressions and improvements and advancements. May we never underestimate the value of of seemingly small acts of kindness or overlook the potential of lasting effect in a seemingly small change or pursuit. There's beauty, value, and power in the small because the kingdom of heaven is like something that is very small. This morning and and every Sunday, we, in a small way, take seemingly small elements and uh, and aspects of of this communion meal that that we partake of that remind us of the grand story in nature of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. It's a small part of our week that is designed to, to have a lasting impact as we go forward, that as we go forward into the week, we carry Christ with us. We carry the memory. We carry uh, the, the message of his life and his ministry. As Paul tells us, we proclaim his death in doing so until he comes back again. In this small expression of, of commemorating his death and resurrection, we proclaim that, that something about Jesus' death and resurrection means something for our life. That this, this moment in time, this, this act of love, this act of mercy and grace means something for how I go about living. And so as we partake of these small elements this morning, may we remember the lasting and impactful and large impact that they are called to have on our lives. And may they be something that helps us to carry Christ with us as we go into our weeks. And may they be something that helps us to remember that there's value in in repetition, in ritual, in doing things consistently over time to help us to be centered on the things that mattered uh, and to pursue things uh, in a way that calls us closer to Christ each and every day. So we're going to pray our prayer of confession and then we invite you to a time of contemplation, of reflection, of prayer as we share in the communion meal together this morning. As we remember Christ and his message and the new life that has opened up to us in him. So would you stand as we pray our prayer of confession? I'll pray the parts in white. Together we will pray the, the words in yellow and then we'll share in the communion meal together. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. 
Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen.